Hello, and welcome back to the Kevin Segura podcast. My name is Kevin Segura, and this is my podcast. Today, I can't really decide what I want to talk about, but I kind of just want to like talk about how much I love the Bible. <laughs> like that's what all these episodes are. But like, it's seriously so cool. <laughs> like I just can't get enough of it. Low key, like. I just read it and I'm like, this is awesome. But like, I understand how everything's like connected and how the biblical authors have crafted this. And I'm just like, this is so cool. <laughs> like, this is partially the reason why my podcast has started taking this tra trajectory. Um, and like I mentioned this in the, the, the trailer episode for the podcast, but like I do this just cause like, this is what I think about constantly. Like, it's just so awesome. And I just want to share it. And so um, like, I understand that that's not normal, but like, it's so cool. And like, this is low, like really actually like high key, my idea of a fun time um, amongst other things. I'm also a musician. I do other things. Like I'm not totally weird, but, um, <laughs> but like, this is my idea of a good time. Like just nerding out about the Hebrew Bible. Um, and like, I just think it's so cool. And I want to share that with you. And hopefully you will come away from this seeing it in a similar way with a new appreciation for it. Um, and so like, I don't know, for me, this has been the culmination of a couple years at this point of just like learning about this book and how it's structured and how it's how it's shaped, uh, how it's designed on purpose. But um, I don't know that we're going to do all that in one podcast episode, but I'm just kind of I'm just going to kind of go, I guess. I don't even know where this is going to end up. <laughs> I just want to talk about how awesome it is, because um, for me, it's also like like the thing is, most people, Christians included, but like most people in general, you read the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, um, which is, if I had to pick between Old and New Testament, Old Testament is kind of my, more so my forte <laughs> than the New Testament, you know? Some people kind of lean more towards New Testament and stuff, but um, for me, I'm kind of lean more towards the Old Testament for whatever reason. Um, like, they are designed differently, but, um, but like, most people don't come away reading the Old Testament thinking like experiencing it in the way that, I, that I'm talking about experiencing it right now. Um, this is definitely probably not normal, I guess. But, um, and I get it because again, as I've talked about before, reading the Bible is a cross-cultural experience as well as a cross-temporal one. And so you're traveling back in time and into a different culture. And so it's like if you've ever traveled anywhere to another country, right? You get off the plane and, or you get off the boat and you step on land and there's different, things going on the way their traffic signs are built the way the roads are built the way architecture is maybe um like everything's just different the food the smells that you're going to smell the kinds of vehicles that are even there in that country right like everything about about a place is going to be different likely if you're traveling to a different country reading the bible is exactly that you're traveling to a different country unless you happen to be jewish that's the closest you can get to this but um but like most of us, I suspect, are not, <laughs> you know, most people in the world are just not Jewish. Um, but then again, you like, even if you are Jewish, it's ancient Jewish culture from thout millennia ago. And, um, and like, it's just different. And so again, they have animal sacrifices and they have these ideas of gods and deities that aren't intuitive for us that have different ways of viewing the world that are not as that's not the ways that we view the world and so for example like they clearly thought the earth was flat we don't view the earth as flat <laughs> because we've been to space this that and the other and so like we just view the world in a different way but again it's because it's a different culture it's a cultural experience cross-cultural experience as well as a cross-temporal one um and so like i get it but 
I, over the last few years, have just spent a lot of time with it. Um, I learned a lot from the Bible Project. Uh, Again, I'll leave links down below in the show notes and in the video description because this is also being video recorded, and so it's that's on YouTube. Um, Links to everything is going to be down below the show notes of the podcast or the video. Um, And so I've learned a lot from Bible Project and their work, and it's just so awesome. And like I've really come to appreciate this book as literature and as a story, and that's how it communicates. That's the primary in which way in which it communicates. We tend to talk about it in our, again, I'm an American. And so in Western kind of modern America, the way Christianity kind of engages with this book as just as from my experience, I guess, the way that people tend to engage this book is as a theology textbook or like, like a theology dictionary, you know, it's like, what am I supposed to think about this certain idea? And then you just, open up to it and you're like, oh, it says this about this idea. And it says this thing about this other idea. Um, And so that's kind of like the theology dictionary way of engaging with it. Uh, People also engage with it as like a instruction manual, you know, kind of along that same line or, um, or like a grab bag of verses that make me feel nice, you know, and Jesus loves you. And like, (laughs) and like for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, and like all these other verses, I can do anything to Christ who strengthens me. And um, like, that's how we tend to engage it. You know, and then you just blow up these verses and put it on a sticker or something and (laughs) put them around your house. Um, And that's usually the conversation. And that's, that's how people engage with this text. But the text, like the Bible is none of these things. It, it like it communicates theology like god's one of the main characters like it does theology you know like it's the bible for goodness sakes obviously it does theology but it doesn't do it in terms of a theology textbook it's not like an instruction manual where you open up it, it's not um uh what is it yeah it's not like a constitution or a law book where you can literally open to it and it's all organized and you're like oh it's very clear here what it says because this is how again this is ancient jewish literature it's not modern american literature (laughs) modern western literature um the way that we read books is different and this book is not from this time and place again cross-cultural experience and so like this has just never been a conversation that i've heard in my many many years of being christian um apart from like the work of the bible project which i've clearly been influenced by um and that's only been in the past couple years but even like even still, like that's the only place I've heard this conversation in none of the churches that I've participated in or any of this has this been a conversation. And so it's more so like how to read the Bible. Just think about that because we tend to talk about, we tend to say, just read the Bible as if it's straightforward, (laughs) as if it's an easy read. But like we never have conversations about how to read the Bible. We just expect that we're all on the same page and we assume it's like a straightforward, easy book to read. But it's not children's literature. The cookies are not on the bottom shelf. Like you gotta work for you gotta work for it. Um, it is designed on purpose to be read and reread and not nece- not necessarily to be difficult to read, but like again, it's not an easy read is my point. And so like this is just never a conversation. Um, and I think that's unfortunate because I have spent a lot of time with this and learning about it and have come to see how it's structured and how it's organized and how it's designed. And in the way that the biblical authors have designed it, it's truly masterful and a work of art, but like we miss out on pretty much all of it. If we are, if we engage it as a theology textbook that it's supposed to tell me exactly how to live 
um, in order to die and go to heaven, right? As like an instruction manual type of thing. We completely miss out on the story that it tells because at the, very, at the very least, at the very least, that is what the Bible is. It is a story. It literally starts off with in the beginning, you know, like it might as well say once upon a time or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I don't mean that in terms of fairy tale. I don't mean that in terms of fairy tale. I mean, it's a story in terms that it's a narrative. Like what kind of literature begins with in the beginning? <laughs> Stories, epic narratives, grand sweeping narratives that talk about the cosmic battle between good and evil, you know, <laughs> like that's the kind of story that this is. And then it, it ends at the very end, talking about humans and God reigning together forever and ever. Amen. Like, you know, it's basically like, um, and they lived happily ever after, you know, like, like it's from the first page to the very last page of the Bible. That's what it is. At the very least, it's a story. But again, it doesn't tell this story. The story isn't communicated in a modern Western context. It's communicated through ancient Jewish literature and an ancient Jewish way of writing. Um, and so like, it's different again. Like it's just, it just is. Um, and <laughs> but like, if you start to engage it on its own terms, like it's again, it's not even, we, we tend to think about it as a book, the Bible, right? The Bible. It's one book bound in fake leather. And it's just like, cool. A lot of pages, right? Freaking 1500 pages at least, um, depending on your version of the Bible, I guess. Um, and so like we tend to engage it as a book, but if you just look at it, like it's not a book, <laughs> it's not a book. It's a small library. It's a, collection of ancient jewish scrolls um because the book did mind you the book the technology of the book <laughs> which is wild to say the technology of the book did not even exist when the bible was written are you kidding me <laughs> that came up after the fact um actually propagated by christians because can you think of anybody in the ancient world who had a need to bind a lot of literature together <laughs> you know um, like the, the early Christians had, had this need because of the old Testament, and new Testament, as we now refer to it as. Um, and so like, it's not a book, it's a collection of books. It's a library, literally. Um, and it's a library in that there's all different kinds of literature. There's narrative, which makes up most of it, which is very intuitive, right? We tell stories. That's all human beings have ever done is tell stories. Um, it, there's a lot of poetry in there of all different kinds, there's freaking a whole book that's literally like semi-erotic love poetry in the Bible, right? There's books of Proverbs. There's letters. You can, half of the New Testament, literally the majority of the New Testament is people's mail, like ancient first century mail, um, which is awesome. Um, and there's all different kinds of literature, prophetic literature, which is wild, um, apocalyptic literature, which is like its own kind of thing. Um, and again, links down below, um, if you want to learn more about how to read this, um, Bible Project has an awesome series literally called How to Read the Bible, and they walk through how to read different kinds of literature in the Bible, talking about exactly what I'm telling you right now. Um, and so, like, but, like, it's big and complicated, and, like, how does this all work together? Um, like, these are just things that we never think about. We just, like, read these stories, and we're like, oh, yeah, I understand. And it's like, what? <laughs> it's like, I'm... I personally at least tend to kind of generally be skeptical about people who claim to understand the Bible. And um, <laughs> just because I'm like, again, generally the way that I've seen people engage with this text is as an instruction manual to tell you how to live your life well in order for you to go to heaven. And as someone who spent a lot of time with this, 
that's just verbatim what it is not. It is just verbatim, not that. <laughs> um, like the problem with this way of reading the Bible is the Bible, <laughs> you know? And like, I don't know, maybe that comes across as kind of pretentious or something, but like, seriously, like just read it. That's like nowhere. Like, what is the story about? Okay. We've established that it's a story. It, and it's told in terms of a collection of books that is that is all different kinds of literature. Okay. But how is any of it connected? Is any of it even connected to begin with? Like, you have stories of Moses and then David. Um, and then you have the stories of Abraham and his sons. And then you have Jesus shows up and then Paul shows up in, in, the, in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, you get all these prophets and, like, kings and judges. And, like, you have all these individual stories. How are they? Are they connected? Do they work together? Um, the answer is yes, in short. Um, but how? A helpful analogy that I've come to use is thinking of the Bible as a movie trilogy or a trilogy of trilogies, like um, like uh, the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit or um, uh, the Star Wars movies, which are a trilogy of trilogies at this point, right? Because they just want your money. But anyways, um, it's all it's multiple different movies, right? A trilogy is literally three different movies. But all together, they tell one unified, cohesive narrative, right? And so you can think of The Matrix, which is an awesome trilogy. It's The Matrix, right? Um, like each movie has its own plot line. And you can watch one movie and appreciate it on its own terms. And each movie itself will have subplots within the same movie. You'll have different scenes where each each scene has its own narrative plot, right? But um, And you can watch one movie and it's great. But you have to zoom out and watch all three movies in order to understand the bigger context and how this one scene fits in to the grander narrative of the whole trilogy, right? Um, and so it's like, why is the scene where where uh, Darth Vader and Luke, why is that scene so important where he's like, Luke, I am your father, if that's even what he says, but whatever. He says, I am your father. And he's like, no! Like, why is that important? Like, you can watch that and you're like, wow, that's crazy. But if you don't know the, the story of the rest of the movies, like that moment maybe doesn't make as much sense, you know, like you lose out on the gravity of the situation because you don't understand the narrative context. This is how the Bible is wove is. This is how the Bible works as well. It's all these kind. It's all these different books, the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, so on and so forth. Um, and like, if you're zoomed all the way in, it's really hard to see. <laughs> you're like, what am I reading again? <laughs> you're just, it's, it's really easy to get confused, especially in the Old Testament, um, where it's just like laws of the Torah and like these kinds of things. But if you zoom out and get the bigger context, you see how this is working into the story. And so let me now zoom in a little bit and try to paint the picture. The story begins in the beginning, right? And you get this picture of a God who's creating this world, and it's awesome. And this world is depicted as a temple in which he's going to dwell, uh, and a kingdom in which he's going to reign. And it's like awesome and it's great and it's beautiful and there's trees and sunsets and like birds and like it's rad, you know? Um, and so he creates as the pinnacle of all creation, he creates these humans who are going to rule alongside him. He says to them, be fruitful, multiply, rule the earth and subdue it. Um, and so it's royal vocabulary. It's And they're images of God, which is also royal vocabulary. Um, but it also means to re to do the thing that God was doing basically. And so like God, you see, you get this image of God making life and like bringing, bringing order out of chaos and like creating abundance. And so human beings, what it means to be human within the biblical context on page one is to do that, to bring order out of chaos and life out of disorder. And like, 
abundance out of, you know? And so like they're placed in a garden and it's like, take this somewhere. Like this place is awesome. Do something with it, you know? And it's this awesome like authority that has been given to man, um, meaning humanity. Um, and that's how the Bible, that's how the Bible starts. And then humans decide to take from the fruit of the tree, which represents the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which represents literally what it's called, taking the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. And basically, we take the authority for ourselves to define what is good and what is evil. And that doesn't usually go well, does it? Like, just like this isn't a story that's locked away in the past as much as we might like to think of it that way. This is a story that is ref- that is forever. The nature of wisdom is that it is forever. And so what it's doing is it's reflecting on the human condition. The human condition is such that we perpetually take the authority for ourselves to define what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And we tend to, it tends to happen at the loss, at the expense of another. And so think right now of, of Putin in Russia and Ukraine for real, like, <laughs> like now we're kind of zooming out, like real world things that are happening right now, like Putin thinks he's doing something for the greater good, as it were, at least for the good of his people, right? Presumably, that is that is what is happening. Same thing with Hitler, even. Like, on some level, they thought that what they were doing was good, you know? Even, But it had to come at the expense of another. Like, how does Putin <laughs> exercise his power and authority to rule? What is good in his eyes? It is that... Ukraine and uh, I don't know what the situation is with Crimea. I know nothing about this, but it is that Ukraine becomes part of Russia once again, as it once was. And this is seen as a good, even if people have to die. And so I think the vocabulary of the Bible that the biblical authors have for this is he is taking the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he's defining for himself what is right and what is wrong. And this has been the story of every human civilization, right? This is the story that plays out daily in our own lives. It's not a story that's locked away in the past. From Pharaoh in Egypt who decides to enslave an entire people group because he sees that it's good for national security and economics, (laughs) right? The story of the Exodus. Um, All the way up to Putin again in the modern day. Um, And all throughout history, this has been the story. People oppressing other people because they see that it's good for whatever reason. And so... That happens, right? This is page three of the Bible. And you just get this picture of everything spiraling downhill and and human societies start to break apart. You get the relationship between man and woman, husband and wife starts to break apart. And then the relationship between siblings breaks apart. And it keeps progressing until you get to the Tower of Babylon. And the Tower of Babel, but it's the Tower of Babylon. It's just a word play. It's a pun that happens, but <laughs> it's literally a biblical pun. The the biblical authors are always making puns. It's wild. Um, <laughs> and so you get this picture of the world is good and humans are called to rule, but like we perpetually fail to trust God and his wisdom. And so we, in doing so, we drive this place into the ground. And so the question becomes, what is God going to do about it? Like, what is God going to do about it? You know, like it's his good world and he's committed to it. Like he's not going to, his character and nature is not such that he's going to just turn his back and walk out on it. And so he starts, he begins this plan to redeem his creation. Um, Notice, to redeem, to restore, not to get rid of it, not to scrap it and start over somewhere else. Although you can kind of get that idea from from the flood story. But again, it's, it's not even that because it's the same world. Like it's like we tend to think of like the rapture and these kinds of things. But again, the story is not one of us going somewhere. 
It's not a story of heaven, of us dying, going to heaven. It's a story of heaven coming here. How is God going to restore this place? And so he begins with Abraham and he lifts up this nobody as is very characteristic for God. And he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. Um, through you, the nations of the world will be blessed. This is Genesis chapter 12. This is one of those key turning points in the narrative. Um, and so that's how God starts his starts his plan to save the world, as it were. Um, he, he lifts up this nobody and he blesses them so that through them, the world will be reunited, will come to be reunited with God. Um, and heaven will come on earth. Um, as Jesus later picks up on heaven, heaven come on earth, um, kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There we go. <laughs> I was blinking on the words. And so the rest of the biblical narrative becomes this massive subplot, <laughs> tracing the fam, the story, the lineage of the family of Abraham, um, as it grows and becomes this great nation, uh, of how is God going to work through these people to reunite the main, the main plot of the biblical narrative, which is God in all the nations. Because again, the story starts with this cosmic imagery of God in all of humanity and God in all of the world and all the nations. Um, and then again, in Genesis 12, it breaks apart into the subplot of the God and the nation of Israel and how he is going to redeem the world through this nation. Um, how he is going to show himself, reveal himself as if you will, uh, through these people. And so the laws of the Torah all happen within this context. Um, and the whole rest of the story of, of Israel is doing this. But again, only as a subplot to the major plot that is God and everyone. How is God going to redeem the world, <laughs> as it were? And so the prophets pick up on this um, throughout the book. Um, and there's key moments throughout the whole rest of the narrative where they're kind of calling back to this idea. And then Jesus himself, once you fast forward through the whole Old Testament, Jesus himself shows up on the on the scene. And I think it's in Mark where you're told he came to save, to redeem his people. He came to redeem his people. And we tend to like read that and we like to hear it saying that, and we're like, wasn't it supposed to say that he came to redeem the world? To he came to save everyone, the whole world, <laughs> you know? But that's not what it says. It says he came to redeem his people, Israel. Um, and we're like, okay. But again, now that we think about it in terms of this context of the main plot and then the subplot, he came to redeem his people, Israel. So that through that, he, the whole rest of the world would be redeemed. You see how it's the subplot. It's Jesus is the continuing the subplot in his um, in his life is how he saw it. And then, th like he was the he was the blessing basically. <laughs> um, and so, but it's the subplot main plot thing of the whole Bible. And then throughout the rest of the New Testament, you get um, like it's literally what Paul was doing. He was a missionary. He was doing the thing that was the story from the whole, from the very beginning, taking the story of God to the, revealing God to the nations as it were. Um, and so I think also that's what, this is, I had a conversation about this recently with someone from church. Um, I think this is partially a big reason why uh, Jesus kind of didn't like the Pharisees among other, other things. The, this is one of the issues that he had with them. It's because they were kind of gatekeeping a little bit. Like the, the Pharisees were gatekeeping and like, you have to follow these laws in order um, to to be participate in the kingdom of heaven, as it were. But the story, again, from the very beginning has been one of God and all of creation being united, the kingdom permeating all of this world, um, not just 
where the Jewish people happen to be, you know, <laughs> not just the people who are here. And so he says to the woman at the well, famously, there will come a day where you don't have to be on the Jerusalem mountain to, uh, to worship God, but you can worship him out here in the middle of nowhere too. Um, everyone in the comfort of their homes <laughs> can worship God, I guess. Um, and so he's picking up on this. It's not about the Jewish people, even though it, the whole, storyline of the old testament becomes a massive subplot of the jewish people it's happening within the greater context of god in all the nations and so jesus says to the pharisees basically kind of like this he's like don't gatekeep <laughs> he's like like what are you doing it's like you were not like again genesis 12 you were not blessed so that you can keep it all to yourselves <laughs> you're blessed so that you can be a blessing to others and so go share this instead of just keeping to yourselves like go be the people of God, you know, like elsewhere. Uh, and this gets picked up later in the church. I think, I think it becomes manifest in the idea that w the followers of Jesus are the church or are the temple, um, is the vocabulary that they have. So we are the church. We are the temple living stones as, it, as they refer to it as, um, and again, now it's like everywhere. Now it's like all the people, you know, now it's not just the Jewish people. Now there's people in Africa. I'm here. I'm a Mexican American. Um, there's people from all different kinds of walks of life, um, participating in this story. But what this story is ultimately about, it's about a future, a, a hope for the future, but also for the present that this, I'll quote Martin Luther King, that the narrative arc of history is long, but it tends towards good. Um, like again, what hope do we have for this world? Like we're all kind of like, even again, throughout all of human history people have been going to war over land disputes over over whatever it may be um and that's in the macro of like world powers and then also in the micro in our own individual personal lives you know and so like what like it's been the same for since the beginning of time basically and like there's not really much sign of change i guess and so like what hope do we have for this world um because you see, human beings, like we, we need hope in order to keep going. That's just something that's inherent to human existence. Um, and so the story of the Bible claims to, the story of the Bible makes a claim about human existence. That the hope that we have is that God is good. And that he is just, and that he will not allow evil to get the final say in his good world. Um, and so the whole story of the Bible is picking up on this. This is what the story of the Exodus is. This is the day of the Lord, as it's referred to. And we have all kinds of weird associations with that. I'll leave a li video linked um, down below and up here to a helpful way of video that helped me understand that, explaining that. But the day of the Lord is basically God's final judgment on the evils that <laughs> humanity has done on each other, you know? Like, again, what hope do we have if evil is just going to be allowed to run rampant? Um, it is the hope that God will come and he will, the powers that be, the powers of that suppress and that, um, inhumaniate, that's not a word, but <laughs> the powers that, that oppress, uh, humans and that do not, uh, give humans beings their dignity that they will be done away with. And that's how the very, the story ends at the very final page with human beings reigning forever and ever. Amen. But the beast, as it were, um, they get cast out into hell. Um, I just opened a can of worms. <laughs> Talk about hell now. But um, 
but that is the hope that the biblical story is trying to do. It's it's painting this picture of trying to understand why we exist and what is the nature of this world in which we inhabit. It's that it's good fundamentally, but boy, are there problems. And so, like, is there a solution to this problem to the human condition? Like, like to the ev- is there a response to the evil that we have caused upon that we have brought upon each other? Um, the biblical authors hold out a hope that says yes that um one day evil will be done away with and then you get authors writing oh death where is your sting <laughs> you know and then you get the story of the empty tomb and it's like even death cannot you know like even death one is not the final thing um and so the biblical authors hold out hope for the resurrection from the old testament into the new testament and the new testament carried forward through his people until now and so it's a weird thing to believe in the idea of the resurrection of the dead, but go read first Corinthians 15. <laughs> um, it's an awesome chapter, but like, again, seriously, like what hope do we actually have if God is not good and he is not faithful? Um, Cause like things work out and that's good, but things don't work out just for the sake of them working out. You know, I don't think at least I think things work out because God is good and he is faithful. If he is not, both of those things, then the whole thing falls apart. Um, and yeah, so I don't know. The Bible's awesome and wildly misunderstood. And so low key, my life's mission on some level is <laughs> helping just share this and talking about it as like on its own terms, trying to understand it on its own terms, because it's truly a work of art um, in the terms that it, in meaning that it's like masterfully crafted and designed to tell this compelling story because we all want the same thing. <laughs> we all want for injustice to be, to be done away with, right? We, no one wants injustice or, uh, racism or slavery or war. Like no one wants any of these things, you know? And so we are we're all hoping for the same thing, but like, actually like what sign do we have that it, any of that is a reasonable thing to hope for? The biblical authors present the story of Jesus as the fulfillment of that hope of the future that we can hope with hope in, will hope in and that we can access that here now on earth as it is in heaven. Um, it just does it in an ancient Jewish context. And so it's a little different and weird and kind of hard to read, but that's as I've come to understand it, um, what the, what the whole Bible is about and it's awesome. And so with that said, I do get to go, but, um, Cool. Hope you have a new kind of appreciation for the Bible and this text, at least a little bit. Um, and yeah, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, uh, Twitter is a good place. You can tweet at me. Links to all my socials are down below. Um, or comment on the video or do what you will. Cool beans. Thank you very much. Uh, hopefully I'll see you around in the next one. Peace.